0: I call it AFM, the anything for money, which is the, uh, yeah. Dell's asked us to put that feature in, that, that deal will happen, that one over there, can we put that in? And you end up with this sort of horrible application. First company I ran, we ran it almost entirely out of cash for the first seven years. We, we, I, we got to a good revenue from that. But if I look back, we made quite a lot of decisions which were AFM type decisions, because well, we needed to keep the lights on, we needed to build the team.
1: Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest.
2: Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here again with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders, thought influencers here around our small to meat-sized business space, really hearing and sharing their stories of both challenges and successes as they've grown and scaled their business where it is Today, so today with me, I have Ian Gotts with Elements Cloud out of San Francisco. And so Ian, first off, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time out of your day for this. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So tell us a little bit more about Elements Cloud and what you guys have got going on out there in San Francisco these days. Uh,
0: yeah, we we've built an application that helps uh, anyone who's trying to implement Salesforce, uh, Help them implement it faster, make those changes, but also make them with more confidence. So we've built an application that helps you manage all the documentation, manage all the interconnections and make sure that you can respond quickly because digital transformation means we all need to change the businesses faster. We need to be able to change sales quickly, but with the confidence, we're not going to break anything.
2: So... I know I'm familiar with it and I know probably most people are, but still from a, from a Salesforce platform, Salesforce has got so many different sides to it. What, what, what is Salesforce to you and how are you exposing that to your, your clients at that point or how are you helping them use their Salesforce? So uh, Salesforce is obviously
0: a, a, a comprehensive platform now. You can build anything with it. Uh, one of its strengths is you can build anything really quickly. One of its weaknesses, is you can build anything really quickly. And uh, typically, organizations have spreadsheets full of requirements. They have spreadsheets full of the things they want to change in Salesforce. They have a few diagrams of what the processes look like, and they may they've got some view about the things in Salesforce that are changing. We've taken all of those spreadsheets and diagrams and the dictionary of what's in Salesforce and put them into an application, and we're then making sure that you've got all the linkages, and it's it's the it's the interconnections, those linkages where you start to see the problems, and that and uh, the potential conflicts. And then the other thing is, we built a really uh, powerful analytical engine which will spider its way through Salesforce and find all the interconnections. So you want to make a change really quickly? Uh, it will then tell you. By the way. If you do that, you, you need to make sure you think about, I don't know that workflow or that dashboard or that bit of Apex code. So it's making sure that early in the process, you discover the problems, which means that you can go a lot faster. Um, and it, again, it's, it's proving to be really effective, whether it's a small organization or a large organization, it doesn't really matter
2: yeah, that's interesting because I, a lot of times we'll push the idea of building processes, building uh, playbooks, et cetera, for companies as they grow and scale. But a lot of times those playbooks get developed almost in silos that you've got the marketing playbook, you've got the operations playbook. It's like, wait a minute, there's a cohesive flow through the organization here. the The customer has to go from one end to the other from marketing and sales, purchasing it, finance out the other end. So if you've got these distinct processes, exactly what you're talking about I've seen them before where it's like okay why did that process break this process or why did that process update a piece of data that we didn't expect it to get updated so yeah that's and and to your point yeah I've I've seen it in other CRMs as well but it's like yeah this is a challenge for sure trying to keep all the moving parts together and keep everybody having that visibility as a as a company and as an implementation in your case grows at that point
0: yeah and I think it it's it's 2021 and it's surprising that we're still doing everything in spreadsheets and and disparate documents. And these are solved problems. Okay. It's not just Salesforce. It's a challenge that's been in, in many platform areas. And we are just, we're basically putting together the the overall picture that everybody would love. Um, And again, sometimes I find it staggering that no one's ever done it before. And I guess it's because, the three of us who built the company have come from a consulting background. So we built the tools that like when I was at Accenture, I wish I'd had or when, when they were at PwC. So we built the tools that consultants would have wanted. I think often people who are involved in technology companies try and solve a technology problem. We're, We're, we're building a technology platform that's solving a consulting problem, which is why the consulting guys are all going, wow, this is a game changer. I never would have thought of this. Um, and if you're a consulting firm, you're too busy solving problems for the client rather than fixing, your, <laughs> fixing the problems that you've got in, uh, in terms of the way you deliver.
2: So yeah, maybe, no, it makes sense. So speaking of, of consulting, and how did, how did the, the company or how did the idea come about at this point?
0: Uh, again, I don't want to tell you a long, long story, but back in 97, the three of us built a, a software product, a software company, which was all around you know, mapping business processes for highly regulated organizations. If you're nope. food, farmer, oil and gas, you've got to document what you do. We built that company, grew it to a multinational company, and that got acquired by Tibco in 2011. And we all retired, and then a couple of years later, we got the band back out of retirement. Said we've got to do something again. we have been a Salesforce customer since 2001, so we started to see how Salesforce was growing into bigger and bigger customers. And the problem we had when we were implementing Salesforce internally all those customers were having. So it was a natural marriage of the stuff we were doing before applied to Salesforce. And uh, Adrian, who's our CTO, we got him on the case, and he spent some time thinking about what we needed to go and build. And we've got a team in the Ukraine, fantastic team out there, about 20 people in And they've been building the product for the last four years. So yeah, it's a big product. And I think one of the challenges you have is if you're going to sell to the enterprise space, you can't just hack something together with a, like, two developers and throw them in a room with pizza and some Red Bull and t- come out three weeks later. You, you need to build a fairly credible product. If it's B2C, for which I know nothing, but if you're building a, something for the consumer market, you can get away with something that's quite small and evolve from there. If you're selling to the business, you need something that's fairly well thought through before a business person, a customer, will take a, a personal risk and go, let's try using this. Even if they're not spending any money, even if you said, we'll give it to you, they still have to spend time using it, getting people trained. There's a commitment they are in terms of using it. There's a, a personal commitment in terms of someone going, oh, Jeff, you're the guy that brought that application in, which we all hate. So there's, you've got to get yeah. over that barrier. So MVP, minimal viable product, is quite big if you're selling to a corporate and you're trying to solve a big problem.
1: Yeah,
2: so
0: it, it takes a while um, and it takes some investment to do that. And it takes a level of vision to go. Yeah, we know where we're going. It, it will take a while to get there. It doesn't mean we got it perfect. I mean, we've had some course corrections as we've as we've started to grow, the uh, build the products and, and get to the market. But you need to have a level of confidence that that, yeah, you're going in the right direction, but it will take a while.
2: No, it makes sense. And yeah, there's still the like you say, in the concept of MVP there that you're not necessarily rolling out with everything, but it's it's a bigger MVP. I, I've been there before and it's doing with consumers. Like you said, you can you can roll out smaller apps, smaller pieces. There's typically a lot less investment, I'd say from a consumer standpoint in that app. But yeah, when previous previous life being a fractional CTO and stuff trying to roll out big projects for big companies, yeah, there, there was a lot of investment. Like you said, even beyond the cost right there of, of the time and stuff like that. So anytime a company's taking on, New tools, new processes, anything. That's, there's an investment to it beyond just the, the straight monetary side.
0: Correct. Uh, the flip side, though, if you think of it, it's a small investment building a consumer app, but then there's a small investment from the customer in terms of adopting it. I mean, I've got a, I've got a phone full of apps where I thought it was a good idea, but I probably don't use them anymore.
2: And, so, and you only spend a dollar or two on them anyway, so it's not like they made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah,
0: correct. And, and good enterprise apps are sticky. Once they're there, the customer's embedded. I mean, the, the product we built, Nimbus, back in 97, there are customers who started using it. 97, 98 are still using it. It's still core to the way that they drive their, their compliance. Yeah. Um, and it's not because they can't get rid of it. It's because it, it was valuable. They've invested in it. And many applications like this, it, one, it, the value is in the content you put in. They've mapped all their business processes, or they've got all their user stories in it, the switching costs are relatively high.
2: It's really that. I remember dealing with one client at one point that the the app they were still using, it was a data management app, but it was like DOS-based days. This was still cursors. This was still no mouse movement at all. It was green and black screen kind of a thing. It's like, why are you still doing this? But the reality was they, their people were so well-trained in, okay, this is the hotkeys. This is exactly how to manage screen to screen to screen, what do you mean? I've got to go now use a mouse and click on stuff. It's like, it's going to take me so much longer in training right there to go adopt something else new. It was worse still sticking with the old stuff. So yeah, that's that's always one looking at at change or uh, reinvention for that matter, kind of a thing in a company, change is always, always challenges. It's it's difficult for us individually, kind of a thing. But once you start putting it on a corporate level like that, then it just magnifies for sure.
0: Yeah, and, then, and and that change thing actually gets amplified where if you're building a product which is not a me too. So if we were building another CRM product, you can go like we're Salesforce, but we are, we're slightly different or we're Salesforce for the music industry or we're Salesforce for pick anything. But if you're building something which hasn't necessarily been built before, you're having to build a category. You're having to get, and you're looking for evangelists. So you're looking for someone who looks at this and goes, as we, we're finding, we're, we're talking to some consulting firms, so actually some of the biggest on the planet, who've said, this is a game changer. This will transform the way we can deliver. But you need to find those evangelists, not the guys who are going, yeah, but I quite like my spreadsheets and I've sort of I've got the macros built. You need to find someone who gets and goes, okay, this will make a difference. And therefore, you're looking for a slightly different buyer um, and uh, we wrote a book a while ago called Impact, which talks about how you sell technology, innovative technology to organizations. So a number of years ago, Jeffrey Moore wrote a book called Crossing the Chasm. Yeah. And a great book. It tells you about the market, but it doesn't tell you how to run a company to the left of the chasm, which is why we wrote Impact. And, and Impact is sort of the steps that a buyer goes through the buying cycle. And it's, if you're building a category there are some steps that you have to go through, which are about finding an evangelist, uh, getting them to build a business case, getting them to find senior buy-in. So you've got almost a consultative type sell rather than a straight, okay, it's us versus Salesforce, we're almost identical, you choose. That's a right of the chasm type conversation. So again, for people who are listening to this who've got something innovative, you've got to think about how you find the evangelist and then have a consultative sales approach. Rather than a a very hard nosed this is the sales guy he's got a he's got a pipeline he's going to grind his way through he's handling objections those are very much cr- a right of the chasm type categories or attributes
2: no that makes sense yeah so walk through a little bit I was going to say we, we talked earlier the company's about seven years old roughly kind of a thing there and thirty five employees I think you said right now so how did we go through that last seven years obviously it wasn't doesn't sound like it was quite a, a jump out of the gate that way, but at the same time, it sounds like you had to I, – again, my, my history with software, you can't necessarily do that with one or two guys real easily building a big platform there. So you probably started off with a, a fairly good team at least, I suspect.
0: Um, yeah, essentially, you take seven years. We've probably only been in market for four. So we, the first year or so was uh, us kicking the idea around, going, yeah, is, does, is this really going to work? coming up with, what did we learn last time? And that's, how do we do a better job of it? I, it's, <clears throat> business is a little bit like sport. The, the, the longer it is since you last did it, the better you remember you were.
2: Of course, yep.
0: <laughs> we we'd had a couple of years out of Nimbus going, you know, we only remembered the good bits. Um, so we had probably a year or, two, year or two of actually getting the design before we started coding. I do remember some conversation with Adrian, which is like, can you just start? And he's like, I know, but I just need to think about... Yeah, but what if that happens? It's like we've just got to get started, um, and it took us about a year to get to the the first f- first MVP, the first version of of sort of process mapping that people started using, and that was, and from there, we actually built a, a almost a free product to start with to get people hooked and build the brand, whilst we were building out the full complete product, um, and. We started off as low touch, relatively low, to, uh, so anybody could provision it, anybody could buy off a website, relatively low cost. Um, as, the, as the product got more sophisticated, we've moved it to a, a, more of an enterprise sale and we've hired an enterprise sales team. In hindsight, we probably would have gone straight to enterprise. Um, there are some benefits in low touch. The product onboarding is significantly better than if it were an enterprise enterprise you often paper over the cracks with consulting teams if it's low touch you've got to get onboarding right you've got to get user provisioning right so we've got a, a really easy onboard uh, we got to about half a million arr without any sales team purely on low touch people going i've heard about it marketing led very little money spent on marketing people heard about it we love it um, let's go and purchase it um The move to uh, enterprise, we started about a year and a bit ago. I think with COVID, I think probably we would have got killed if it hadn't been for having a sales team. I think COVID, any speculative spend got killed. Yeah. stopped. Um, We have a strong return on investment story, but I think that needs to be told by an enterprise sales team. So that's why building that team now is exactly the right time. And we've moved it from a an ACV, which is probably only a couple of thousand bucks up to now people are spending five, 10, 20, and we've got people in pipeline at a hundred. So we've moved it from a uh, the low touch, proving the model, does it work? Yes, it does work. We've now moved it to the enterprise sales team. Uh,
2: so what kind of caused that change or that shift at that point to say, hey, instead of being low touch, instead of being lower in price, now we're going to shift and Pivot market, pivot change here, and can go up to the the enterprise side, or was that? It sounds like that wasn't necessarily the plan all along. It sounds like that was kind of a, a pivot or a change in the middle.
0: Yeah, um, I think what we discovered was when we first looked at the problem, it was I mean, it, it was that big. It was only a certain size. The more we got into it, the, the we found the pro- the problem was more complex and a bigger issue, and therefore had more value with it. We ended up building more product capability but that also then took it up market. Yeah. So we could have we could have stayed a relatively simple product with a relatively simple price point but the problem we were trying to solve and that our customers were asking us for was way bigger. Okay. And they were prepared yeah. to pay more for it. So that and we listened to the customers all the time and they were going now you've given us this but if it could do this it would be amazing. If it could do this it would be amazing. So that drove a lot of the product direction which then built a way more capable product, at which point people are prepared to pay a lot more for it. But then that that turns into an enterprise sales team.
2: Makes sense. So how did you deal with, because I know with software before you get a lot of those customer feedback, customer input kind of a thing there that it's not necessarily always in perfect alignment with each other. What did you? Was there any kind of process or approach there to say, okay, we're going to take these feature requests, these not kind of a thing? Because that's always the danger of getting too much customer feedback there is you can end up all over the place right there without having any kind of clear direction.
0: Yeah, I I call it AFM, the anything for money, which is, uh, yeah, Dell's asked us to put that feature in, that that deal will happen, that one over there, can we put that in? And you end up with this sort of horrible application. So I think there's a couple of things. One is you need a fairly clear strategic direction about where you're going. So we've got an idea about what the the overall problem we're trying to solve is. That's the first thing. The second is, we need to have an understanding about what the priorities are. So uh, which which features do we need to have a better platform? As in, we could hack that feature together and put it in, but if we did a proper job of building the foundations, we can not just deliver that feature, but we can deliver a whole set of features on top of it. So that may need to wait until we've actually got some some more uh, core capabilities in. So there's some prioritization there rather than, just sticking stuff in because a customer wants it. But I think underpinning all of that is having enough investment that you're not making decisions that are based on, if we do that, we'll get the next deal. Yeah, And I think the, last, the first company I ran, we ran it almost entirely out of cash for the first seven years. We, we, I, we got to a good revenue from that. But if I look back, we made quite a lot of decisions, which were AFM-type decisions because well, we needed to keep the lights on, we needed to build the team. Um, uh, the other thing is we didn't you, you said you think we have a pretty big team from day one we didn't we've been quite careful at not growing the team until we were really clear about what the team was going to go and be directed at Okay. so it's very easy to go oh I think we know what the product is we know what the problem is let's go and hire a sales team we took that fairly gently the whole idea of low touch with virtually no sales team was we really were clear on what the proposition was before you start hiring expensive salespeople.
2: Yeah. What about even on the development side? How, how did you grow that development team over time?
0: Uh, we Well, the first thing is we spent time getting the UI design nailed down. And that has lived with us for the last five, six years. And it has worked well. It There's been a consistency across the product which works well. So whether you're in a requirement or a user story or a sales source item, it's the same looking UI, which means that people feel comfortable. Yep. So We got that right first. So that was that first team. And and again, we weren't desperate to get product out. So we had time to build some of the core capabilities and get those right. We're up to about 20 now. I think the core team must have been in five or six when we first started. But again, out, out offshore in the Ukraine, great, talented, relatively inexpensive. So... Uh, we wouldn't be building a sales team in, in San Francisco.
2: <laughs> yeah, especially not a development team. But no, still, the, the idea still applies really outside of software or beyond software. That's still making sure you've got that the customer facing the decisions, the design, et cetera, done right before you go invest a whole bunch in the manufacturing and the development, product development, et cetera, at that point. So it's still, in a lot of ways, it's still getting that MVP, even though you've got a lot wider surface area that, hey, we're making sure that We've got the right pieces, the right design in place before we go invest a lot in the in the infrastructure at that point.
0: No, I think people, I well, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be optimistic, otherwise you'd never be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think you're often, you feel you're often further ahead in the cycle than you really are. People talk about product market fit. Okay. We talk about product marketing fit, which is slightly different. And I, Again, I, it sounds like I'm picking, uh, making it too nuanced, but... Product marketing fit is we know the product we should have and we can tell a story about it, but it isn't quite there. Product market fit is, yeah, we've definitely got all the features there. So product marketing fit is people get it, but they have to there's some workarounds and it's a bit kludgy. Product market fit genuinely does what it needs to do. And I think quite often you, as an entrepreneur, you go, we've got product market fit. You haven't, you've got product marketing fit. Yeah. And you're not... And product, market, product marketing fit can get you customers. Product market fit means you're able to scale.
2: Yeah. Not, and that's that's one thing that unfortunately the, the software, the technology industry is well known for is the smoke and mirrors of, of course we can do all this stuff. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah, not really. Or next version or you got a whole lot more steps to get through it kind of a thing. So well, exactly what you're saying there. But yeah, that's, that's definitely the case there. So... Um, Looking forward a little bit more with the business, what does what the business look like here in the next four or five years? Kind of what, what's the what's the long-term vision for the business looking forward?
0: Well, obviously exciting. Otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully all good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, clearly more people. I, I, we're at the point now where we've got the big consulting firms saying we should standardize this for every single customer. Um, we've got Salesforce execs saying, fine, every customer should be using this, and Salesforce has got 300,000 customers. But we built this as a platform that's not just Salesforce. So big organizations have the same challenge where they've got Salesforce connected to Oracle, connected to SAP, connected to, I know, ServiceNow. So we can do the same thing for every single platform. So ultimately, I think we end up being the documentation, the... the the spider diagram for the CIO for how it connects all the applications together. So we're trying to to avoid unintended consequences. I made a change really quickly here. That sounds great. Oh, hang on. I've now broken our integration to Oracle, or we can't get our inventory doesn't work in SAP. So it's broader than just the customer. It's actually, it's all those interconnections.
2: So how do you take that then and, apply that what you're saying effectively for the CIO for looking at their data up to the company level itself in terms of running the company, because a lot of times you'll see the visionary still of saying, hey, I saw that book, I read this book, that saw that seminar, let's go change this or do this. And they're not really looking at that bigger picture. So how does that being in that market or being in that already that mindset for building your product? How does that then uh, impact your, your company overall in terms of a, a structure and a direction? Do you, do you see any parallels there?
0: Yeah, uh, so I, I've talked about the, this documentation, the instrumentation being for the CIO. But what if you think about the previous company we ran, one of the artifacts, one of the things we're building is all the business processes that document how the business runs. Okay, that, you need that to work out what's changed in the systems. The CIO needs that because that helps them understand what businesses change. But that is what the head of operations, the COO, or the head of compliance will use to run their business. The previous business we ran, we built a business purely on the back of just those process maps. Yeah. Um, a big bank had 20,000 process diagrams in the hierarchy. It was the way the bank ran. Um, that was Bank of Montreal, Bank of someone like uh, Nestle. Nestle used it across the patch. Um, so there were huge organizations who they used the business process content we created as the operations manual for the company you can't change unless you understand where you're changing from. If you're highly regulated, you've got to show you've got to change. So if you're a big, uh, something like an AstraZeneca, you've got to document your your drug safety processes. That's being built alongside all the other stuff we're building. So this is not just supporting the CIO. It's also supporting the COO and the head of compliance. So
2: how are you taking that idea of process development at AstraZeneca, big, big, big company, down potentially to a, a 35 person company in, in uh, elements.cloud here. How, how, does, how do you see that scaling or how do you see that, that working in your own business there?
0: We are our own best customer. Okay. So if you want to, <laughs> uh, when we do demos to customers, we show the, the processes are mapped about the, how the way we run our business. We can show you how well documented our Salesforce implementation is with all the integrations. We can show you our user stories. We are our own best reference customer. And I don't know how you could build and run a business without having this level of documentation. I guess you can. It's say like a lot
2: of duct tape, but yes, you can. <laughs>
0: it's one of those things where it's like one of those things once you've seen it, you can't, you can't unsee it. You can't yeah. go back. And so I was doing some uh, – there was a business idea with my daughter Uh, she's she's a songwriter in nashville just come out of berkeley college of music and they that industry's got a challenge with everyone is independent Yep. so there are lots of interconnections between people but no one but no one has that everyone's address book slightly different so we said well okay why why couldn't you build like a combination of an address book and linkedin so she's got her address book um, with all her contacts in there. But those but the business the, the the sorry the public part of those contacts are visible to anybody, but the private bits are just private to her. Okay. Anybody else can go, oh look, here are all those other people I know. When they add them to their address book, they've got their their personal email and phone number for that person. But if the person then connects and says, I'll connect with you, they instantly get the most up to date version of all the all the phone numbers and addresses. Following me?
1: Yeah, oh, that makes Naviots, sense. Yeah.
0: I've got the concept of a list of all the people in the music industry, and if they connect with me, they've—I've instantly got the most up-to-date contact details from. So when we've suddenly everyone's details are all instantly kept up to date. Okay. So over the Christmas period, we built we built the app for that. We couldn't have built that unless we'd said, "What is the business? What's the process we're trying to follow? And then what is the uh, what's the data architecture? How does this?" data model work and then some of that logic is quite complicated so let's write that down so we know what it is so I, i've now taken you from astrazeneca down to elements down to deep deep which is the yeah. name of this little idea down to deep and even at the lowest level having that written down has, has avoided so many mistakes so she's come back to me and gone that doesn't quite work could we do it this way in that way and instead of just going, oh, well, let's hack it together, we've gone back and gone, okay, well, what will, what, what's the implications of changing that? Okay, right. How are we going to change onboarding? Okay, I get that. And it feels like it's a lot of effort. Oh, no, it's not a lot of effort. Um, the human nature is I just want to start building stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a concept called shift left in the, in the testing world. The, further, the earlier you find changes, the cheaper they are to fix. Yep. if i write a bunch of code not that i'm a developer but if i if i do a bunch of development that takes quite a lot of effort to fix if i fix it by understanding oh this is what the flow looks like on a on a in a diagram easy to fix by the time i've made written code tested it got it into production hugely expensive huge Yep. now tape doesn't matter whether it's a product if you're building a physical product get it in design get it right in design before we've built molds got it into production then it's not working so this concept is shift left do stuff earlier but it it fights against human nature who we just want to get the final product out there
2: yeah well, we're, a lot of times you're looking at financial aspects of it, too. Say, we, we got to have something to sell kind of thing. But you, you look at the auto manufacturing, it's like they're, they're building the clay models. They're sitting there putting the clay model into a wind tunnel. It's like, OK, they hadn't done sheet metal or anything yet. This is just a, yep. a clay model here to sit there and do these testing. And that's anytime you're building product or service, really, It's, it's it even still applies service. Like, OK, don't go build out the entire service offering little bits test it in front of the audience at that point to see if it does it work kind of a thing there and do the, the smaller testing, I'm trying to think what the, basically it's, uh, I forget what the, the quote is, but basically the idea of failing fast kind of a thing there is okay. As soon as we the faster we can fail, we can move on to, okay, what's the next step and, and improve hopefully at that point. But I, I forget the exact exact wording, but that's, that's the idea there of saying fail fast and move forward quick.
0: I think now with some of these low-code platforms, whether it's I know, the application that we, for we're building this deep, deep thing on called Bubble or whether it's Salesforce where very very configurable or any of the other low-code platforms, you can not just prototype products or services. You can pro- prototype businesses. Yeah. You can throw together relatively quickly something which is good enough so people can kick the tires and go, will this work? Uh, without having massive investment in building teams, and, but you, you can get to a point where it's not ready for market, but certainly there's enough there that you can take to advisors, evangelists who get it, who who can go, now you've shown me what you had in mind, I can't see the market for that. Or, or it's too early, or tweak that, and I think we've got something. So we, we're ent- entering a really interesting new world where uh, – a lot of businesses are based around technology low code technology platforms enable you to build the first cut very quickly to and yeah. we can prototype businesses
2: yeah it's it's and really uh, to me it goes actually beyond that because yeah you've got that kind of platform for the technology side that you don't have to be a developer yourself to go build the code but to me it's also the the market that we're in of individuals outsourcing stuff like that, that all of a sudden to be a business owner, you don't have to necessarily, no marketing, no sales, no accounting, etc. You can go get a part-time fractional COO or a fractional CFO, things like that. So much easier these days. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, that kind of stuff just didn't exist at that point. It was, you, you literally had to have the investment trying to cobble it all together or do it all yourself kind of a thing there. And just the the ease, and granted, it goes back to your very first comment about Salesforce, the ease of starting a business is, or the bar for being able to start a business is so much lower these days. But at the same time, that's also a huge detriment that people can get into it and figure out, <laughs> oh, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: certainly uh, building, building a business in California, the first year is okay, Uh but at the end of the first year, you find out all the bits of legislation that you didn't get around to do. No, not, not you didn't do. You just didn't know you needed to do it.
2: Uh-huh.
0: We're getting stuff from New York because we've got employees in New York where our finance team are going, I didn't realize this form existed. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got, I think we've got a little bit of time for some of the legislation to catch up with how evolved the way uh, technology and businesses are.
2: It really is, and it'll be. It'll be interesting to see how it keeps shaking out. Because even it, it wasn't that long ago, they were talking about how the, all the taxes would work okay for big Amazon sitting here shipping to everybody, Well, they didn't have a a physical location. Our headquarters wasn't in every single state, so why are we getting taxed there? So it'll be. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Because even this day, like I said, we're, I've got multiple companies that are just saying, "Hey." we're doing this work from home. Why do we need to be paying for the the big downtown office building anything anymore? We don't have customers coming to us. We can work from remote, but there's a lot of other implications to that too. So it's it's a new day and it'll be new. See what the new horizon is for sure. I I think
0: uh, there's a bit of a reset with people saying we're happy working from home or we can build relationships working from home or uh, whatever home means, whether it's sort of, sitting at home or sitting in an office with a green screen. Uh, we do crave that human connection. I think we will find some bits need to come back in terms of business travel, in terms of personal travel. Um, but I think some of the speculative, oh, I really need to, I'm expected to be at the meeting or I've got to make that flight. Hopefully some of those will have been killed off. Could that flight really have been a Zoom call? Could that Zoom call really have been an email? So I think some of that, that, macho expectation of i'm on another flight because it's important I hopefully we've killed some of that off and yeah. we'll get our we, we spend a bit more time getting our
2: lives back hopefully so so all right well i'd run it a little bit long but i always kind of like to wrap up and just say okay what's the best tip the best strategy that hey if you were six years four years whatever ago kind of a thing and say hey if we just had this in mind or just done this earlier on things might've been better all up up to to this point. Is there anything that comes to mind or any one that comes to mind rather than 20?
0: I I think three, uh, focus, focus, focus. I think it's very easy to go, oh, we've built this platform that can solve this and this and this and this and this and this this for these people. And what I've learned over the years is even if what you're building has a huge uh, capability, you've got to get started by focusing on a market, a persona, a problem, and get and get that as the beachhead. And often it's difficult keeping the team focused on that one thing because sometimes it takes a while before it plays out, and, and you can see that what the decision you made works. And and keeping the team focused on that rather than going, oh, we could spin off and do that, and we could do that. There's AFM, AFM. I, I could do that. There's some money there. Keeping that focus. Um, yeah. and Being being very clear uh, about like, what what's the problem we're solving, paint the picture of this customer with this problem, with this budget, what's the, what's the problem you're solving for them, and then go with that at 100 miles an hour and make sure you solve that.
2: No, it makes a lot of sense, and like I said, even beyond software kind of a thing, because it's, especially in the early days when you're chasing the dollar, it's too easy to go, oh, that person's going to pay me for doing this slight variation, and... To me, that's what kills businesses faster than anything is just complexity because you don't look at it that way. Well, it's just one feature over here. It's just one feature over here. And like we talked about before long, you've got this just conglomeration of mess right here. It's like, okay, where are we even going? We're just trying to be everything for everybody and it rarely works out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate the time. appreciate the insights right there. And I hope for best of luck and to hear be, be hearing good things about the company going forward.
0: Yeah, it's been fun talking to you. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. Okay.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at Admentis.com.